So, which would you rather have? All these delicious vegetables over here or this ice cream over here? You want the vegetables? Raise, raise your hand if you'd like the ice cream. Okay. Raise your hand if you want the vegetables. Oh, some of you want both, huh? Yeah. Which one is better for us? Yeah. The vegetables are better for us, aren't they? Ice cream tastes better, yeah. But it's not as healthy as the vegetables, is it? Oh, the carrots are good, yeah. We know that we know that the right choice is the vegetables. We know that that's healthy and better for us. But even though we know it's the right choice, a lot of times we choose the ice cream, don't we? We're going to talk a lot about choices today. In our pre-service song, God talks about choosing the way of sin or the way of righteousness, the way of this world or the way of God. And in our sermon text as well, Jesus is going to talk about letting go of the things of this world in order to hold on and to receive the things of God. But the, things about, the thing about choices is that even though we know what's good for us and what we should choose, just knowing it, that doesn't mean we always choose the right thing, do we? We have some more examples here. What about this? What's the right choice to spend our life getting lots of money and hoarding it to ourselves so we can dive into a money pit like Scrooge McDuck? Or to share our money with others, even if it means we don't have very much ourselves, which is the right choice? Grayson, this one. But we're very often tempted to do this one, aren't we? Yeah, it kind of looks like fun swimming in gold there, huh? What did Jesus choose? That's right. Jesus gave up the riches. He didn't hold on to the riches of heaven, did he? He gave up the riches of heaven and was born. Does it look like he has a lot of money there? Does he have a big palace? Does he have lots of servants? Does he have a freezer full of ice cream? No. No, he gave up the riches and chose to become poor, to be born poor for our sakes, didn't he? Yeah. There we go. Let's say that there's only one piece of pizza left. What, and you're really, really hungry. Maybe you've been at basketball practice and there's one piece of pizza left. Do you take it and eat it for yourself? Or do you share it with your friend? That's the right choice, but which one are we more tempted to do? We're more tempted to take it for ourselves, right? Although, actually, I think this is a cauliflower crust, so maybe that one is, is less tempting to take. What about Jesus? Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and he went without food for 40 days? He gave up food. He was hungry for our sakes, wasn't he? He went hungry for 40 days so that we could be filled with the feast that is waiting for us in heaven and enjoy the feast of the Lamb and be in heaven with him forever, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, we got one more here. What's going on in this picture? Well, <clears throat> some people might make fun of you for believing in Jesus, right? And if people make fun of you for believing in Jesus, you have two choices. You can pretend that you don't know Jesus, 
and then be popular and have lots of friends. Or you can talk about how Jesus died for the sins of the world, and then maybe people won't want to be your friend. Which one should we choose? Should we talk about Jesus, or should we not talk about Jesus? Yeah, we should choose to talk about Jesus, but very often we choose not to talk about Jesus because we don't want people to make fun of us, don't we? What did Jesus choose? Jesus chose to die on the cross, and in fact, the people made fun of and mocked him because he came down to be our friend and to die for us. He chose to be persecuted, to be mocked, and even to die for our sins. Jesus wants us to choose to make good choices, doesn't he? He wants us to choose vegetables, at least sometimes. We don't always have to choose the vegetables, but sometimes we can have ice cream. He wants us to choose to share the good news of how he died for us. He wants us to share our money and our food and not hold on to the riches of this earth. He wants us to make good choices, but even when we don't make good choices, Jesus chose us, didn't he? You see yourself in that picture? No. <laughs> That's not you right there? No. Oh, okay. But it, it could be you, right? Jesus chose us. He made the choice to be our friend and to die for us so that even when we make bad choices, we're still saved and get to go to heaven. Let's say a quick prayer thanking Jesus, right? Jesus, we thank you that you chose to become poor and live among us and die for us, and you chose to be our friend. We ask that you would strengthen us to make wise choices in our life, but even when we fail, that you would forgive us for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone want to... <clears throat> Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God that we hear this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. And here we have Luke's recording of the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus gives. Now one of the great themes, one of the major themes of the Gospel of Luke is what we call that great reversal. How Jesus came to lift up those who are low and to, to bring down those who are high. In the Gospel of Luke, we, we hear about that almost in the first chapter in Mary's Magnificat. She talks about how uh, God has exalted the lowly and sent the, the rich away empty. And again, in the, the coming of John the Baptist, who proclaims that Jesus is coming to lift up the valley and bring down the mountain. And we see that same theme also in Luke's recordings of the Beatitudes. In Matthew, there are more Beatitudes, and they are less pointed. But in Luke, there are fewer, and each one of them has a counterpart. So that whereas God gives the riches of heaven to the poor, he also warns the rich uh, that they already have their reward. So it's something to pay attention to as we read our sermon text today. Luke 6, 17 to 26. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. 
as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, when they revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. One of the things that I try to teach the confirmation kids is, of course, the difference between law and gospel. And on the surface, that seems like a pretty easy thing. The law is God's commandments, what we must do, don't kill, etc. Whereas the gospel is the wonderful good news of Jesus coming to die for us. And yet, it's not always so easy for us to correctly divide God's word, understanding these differences. A big part of that reason is our own sinful nature, which likes to take God's blessings and turn them into commands. It's kind of like if a parent spends a while creating a really nice supper for their family and their kids, and the kids come down and say, do I have to eat this? What was supposed to be a gift and a blessing has all of a sudden become a commandment in the kids' eyes, hasn't it? We often do the same thing with God's blessings, and especially with the Beatitudes that we find before us in our sermon text this morning. Jesus comes to us and he says, Look, you're poor. I'm going to give you the riches of heaven. But all too often what we hear in the Beatitude is, well, if you give up the riches of this earth, then you deserve the riches of the kingdom. We change God's blessings into a commandment, into something that we must do. And we say to God, do I really have to give up the riches of this earth? Instead of rejoicing in the promise that God gives us. The Beatitudes are not a law. The Beatitudes are Jesus coming to us to give us blessings and to give us gifts. The very name ought to make that clear. The Beatitudes, the blessings. What is a blessing? A blessing is a gift from God to us. That's the gospel. That's the wonderful thing that Jesus does for us. Jesus brings us gifts in this text. And the, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul helps us to understand these Beatitudes correctly in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3, where he tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here Paul is talking about the blessings of Christ. And notice that first of all he says that these blessings are given to us in Christ. And so the Beatitudes that Jesus speaks to us this morning are in Christ as well. They are Christological. That is, they come from Christ. They point to Christ. They are given by Christ. They are given to those who come to Christ. They are given in Christ. Without Christ, there are no Beatitudes. There are no blessings. All of Scripture finds its fulfillment in Christ. Jesus explained this to the Emmaus disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. And Jesus made this clear to the Jews as well in John 5, 39, when he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. All of scripture is talking about Christ and pointing us to Christ. And we know that, and yet we often forget it when it comes to the Beatitudes. We often view them apart from Christ, thinking, well, all oh, the poor in the world well, they are the ones who will be blessed. Or the hungry, they are the ones who will be filled. To think of the Beatitudes apart from Christ is to think of them like some great cosmic law that is fulfilled whether Christ brings them or not. That's really to make, of them, uh, uh, make them like that Eastern idea of karma, that the universe will automatically balance out all things. Jesus is not a prophet here talking about some greater truth that is above him, but he is the Son of God himself who came down from heaven to bring these gifts to us. There is no great cosmic law that is going to balance out all imbalances, but rather Jesus, seeing our poverty, said to himself, I will come down and give them the riches of heaven. And that is what Jesus is talking about here in these Beatitudes. Some of them read these, some people read these Beatitudes and they forget that it is Jesus who is speaking. And so they make that mistake of thinking that they are a law. If I am poor, then I will receive God's riches. But it is a promise that Christ brings. And it is a promise that Christ gives to whom? To those who have come to hear him. It is from him and it is received in him. It is received through faith just as all the blessings of God are received in faith. He gives them to us who are poor. These blessings are given in Christ and they are also given fully. Every one of them. As Paul says in Ephesians 1.3 again, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The Beatitudes cannot be taken one at a time as though, well, <clears throat> if I'm poor, then I get this, 
uh, but you know, I'm not hungry, so I don't need that fulfillment. The Beatitudes are given as a full and complete blessing to all who come to Christ. Every one of them. Beatitudes are therefore kind of like the musketeer model, right? One for all and all for one. When Jesus talks about the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the persecuted, he's not talking about four different categories of people. But he is using four different adjectives, all of which describe us. We are poor. We are hungry. We are sorrowful. And we are persecuted. And the blessings he gives, he gives to us through faith because he came to die for us. Similarly, when he goes on to the woes that come later, woe to those who are rich, woe to those who are, who think, who are full, he is again speaking not piecemeal, but he was talking about those who think that they are full, that they are rich in the things of this world, and therefore don't need Jesus. And once again, it's either all or nothing. Either we come to Jesus in our poverty and receive the blessings he promises us because he died for us, or we think of ourselves as full and complete in ourselves and want nothing from Jesus. Every one of these gifts that Jesus, is prom that Jesus promises here are fully ours through his death and resurrection. Paul continues in Ephesians 1, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so the Beatitudes that are before us this morning as well are spiritual in nature, primarily spiritual in nature. The conditions that Jesus is talking about, poor, hungry, sorrowful, are primarily spiritual conditions, and the blessings that he promises are primarily spiritual blessings. The Gospel of Luke bears this out. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke gives us examples of Jesus fulfilling these beatitudes, giving these very promises that he promises here. For example, in Luke chapter 19, who is the one who is filled with Jesus, who dines with Jesus. It's Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus was not physically hungry or physically poor, was he? He was a wealthy man from earthly standards. And yet in the Gospel of Luke, he shows us how poor he was spiritually and how hungry he was spiritually. And it is to Zacchaeus' house that Jesus goes to dine with him and to fill him with his spiritual blessing. In Luke chapter 7, here we have another example, where the disciples of John come to Jesus and ask him, are you the one? And Jesus responds to them to go and tell John, you have seen how the poor have the gospel preached to them. Again, what riches does Jesus give to the poor? It's not the riches of this earth that Jesus is talking about, is it? but the riches of God's kingdom. And in Luke chapter 8, here we have an example of those who are sorrowful. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus goes to a house and he finds there a dead young girl and women who are weeping. 
And he says to the women who are weeping, do not weep, for she is only sleeping. Now Jesus is about to raise this young girl from the dead. He knows what he's about to do. And yet he does not tell the women to stop weeping because I'm going to raise her from the dead. But instead he tells them, you do not need to weep because this is only a sleep. He doesn't point them to the physical resurrection, which after all was only a temporary thing, but rather he points them to the fact that death itself is merely awaiting. For those who are in Christ, it's merely awaiting for the final glorious day of resurrection. When he says, do not weep, for she is only sleeping, he's pointing them ahead to the comfort and joy that is ours with the knowledge, as Job says, that we will one day, that our Redeemer will one day stand upon this earth and we shall see him with our very flesh, with our very eyes. The joy of waiting to receive the kingdom. The Beatitudes do offer us some comfort even when it comes to physical hunger or physical sorrow or <clears throat> physical poverty. But primarily, they comfort us and give us joy and sorrow in our spiritual poverty of the spiritual gifts that will be ours. Jesus offers us the fullness of joy in that life which is to come. The one who probably best understood, correctly understood, the Beatitudes of Jesus was King David. And King David has his own Beatitude, not that it comes from him, because of course it comes from the Holy Spirit, but which he wrote down and recorded in Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verses 1 to 2, blessed. See, it begins exactly the same way as Jesus' Beatitudes. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. That's the best summary of the thing that Jesus wants us to understand in the Beatitudes that we hear today. That all these blessings are ours because even though we are poor in spirit, even though we are sinners, God has covered our sin. When King David says, blessed is he whose sin is covered, he is not telling us that we ought to go out and sin more, that therefore we can receive more forgiveness. Just like Jesus is not telling us that we need to go out and find more poverty so that we can receive the riches of God's kingdom. Rather, David and Jesus are both telling us the same thing, that we are sinners. We don't need to go out and find it. We are poor. We don't need to go out and find it. But Jesus came to give us forgiveness, the riches of God. All the Beatitudes, especially those in Luke, are to be understood in this way. In our poverty, Jesus has given us wealth. In our hunger, Jesus has given us fullness. In our suffering, Jesus has given us joy. And in our persecution, Jesus has given us fellowship with the Father and with one another. The Beatitudes are the gifts which Jesus brings to us 
and gives to us through faith in him. Amen.